Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. 30 minutes down, 120 more to go. This is Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. I'm Eddie Garrison filling in for the coach Bob Lovell. Matt Taylor coming up, Howard Kelman coming up, but of course, at every quarter hour, every 15 minutes, including the top of the hour, it's about four minutes and change. You're here from the start of the show, Nathaniel Finch. Thank you, buddy. A pleasure to be with you on this show with Kylan Talley doing all the work back in the studio. How about we start with what's going on over at Victory Field for this scoreboard update. I'm Nathaniel Finch. Yesterday, two state champions crowned in high school baseball. Started with Ileana Christian, 3 nothing winners over Covenant Christian. Here's John Herrick. Here is the 0-2 from Corcoran. And for the second straight year, the Ileana Christian Vikings are baseball state champions in Class 2A as they knock off the Covenant Christian Warriors 3 to nothing at Victory Field in downtown Indianapolis. A big win for Ileana Christian now repeats as 2A state champions. And then in 3A, Silver Creek wins 4-2 to over Andrean. They are in their first ever in program history. Put in play, over to short. Burton picks it up, and he throws to second to get the final out of the game. And for the first time in school history, the Silver Creek Dragons have won a baseball state championship. And they send their head coach, Joe Decker, into retirement with a title. That was John Herrick in the IHSAA Champions Radio Network. As far as tonight, we've got the remaining two games. The 1A State Championship took place earlier this afternoon. Lafayette Central Catholic gets the win. A low-scoring one. Just one run. They defeat Bar Reeve 1-0 on repeat as the 1A Champions. Now record ninth baseball crown. Let's hear how they got their one run. The top of his shadow just hovering over the foul line. Going. There goes Mazer from first. Uh, and they're going to have him in yeah. a pickoff. No, Waggler nope. throws to third. Got him. Did they get him or did they call a balk? They called a balk. Called a balk. It's a run in. A balk called by the third base up, Tim Wesley. An unconventional way to score your lone run of the game, but it works for LCC. Counts the same on the board, and they win one nothing. You know the voice. That was Brennan King and Indiana Sports Talk Zone at Coach Level. Here's the final out. The 3-2 is a little looper hit towards first. Caught by Schumer. And the record has been set. It's the ninth <laughs> baseball state championship in the history of the Lafayette Central Catholic Knights. Nobody in this state has more. On the IHSAA Champions Radio Network. As far as the game going on right now, Center Grove, they are facing their last chance here. Penn winning 2 to nothing at this point in the game. That's the bottom of the seventh. There's one out. Two runners on. Huge spot here for the Trojans. they got a runner on second and on first. And again, just one out. Big spot here at the top of the lineup right now. Their two-hole hitter up to bat. We'll see if they can come back and win that one. We'll give you the update here in about 15 minutes. Then we look at some Major League Baseball scores. Here in about seven, eight minutes, the Guardians going to be in action in Arizona against the D-backs as far as games that have already taken place. How about the Reds? Winners 10-3. You know Eddie Garrison is ecstatic over this one. The Reds, for the first time 
Since 2018, they've won seven straight games, and they've also won five consecutive series for the first time since 2014. This is a team that hasn't seen a ton of success of late, but all of a sudden, they're doing it pretty well. How about Hunter Green picking up the win, pitching his sixth innings? Jonathan India hit a home run in the first inning, and they scored quite a bit after that. Went into the ninth inning. A three-run lead, scored four for some insurance, win at 10-3. Then the Cubs, their winners at home, 3-2. to two. Justin Steele picking up his seventh win of the year. As far as the White Sox, they had to travel over to the West Coast. They defeat the Mariners 4-3 to three in 11 innings. The Tigers, they fall to the Twins in Minnesota, 2 to nothing. As far as the Cardinals, 5-3 to three winners over the New York Mets on the road were the Cardinals. Wainwright picking up his third win. For Network Indiana Sports, I'm Nathaniel Finch. Welcome back to Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. I'm Eddie Garrison filling in for the coach Bob Level tonight. Hats off to our producer Kylan Talley. At Victory Field, there's baseball being played, but the voice of the Indianapolis Indians, he's not there. He's in Iowa. It's Howard Kelman. You know him very well. Voice is synonymous with these airways. Howard, Indianapolis Indians, they have struggled against the Iowa Cubs. They have now lost four consecutive games after today's 6-3 to three loss. Okay, uh, just to let you know, I'm broadcasting the road games remotely again this year. So broadcasting them from Victory Field. So I called the game tonight from Victory Field with the Indians in Iowa. It was a real rough night. Six to three, it started out positive. The Indians got the first run of the game in the second inning, but they had first and third nobody out after three straight hits. And on the first hit, Miguel and Duhar extended his consecutive game hitting streak to 19 games, which is wonderful. Anyway, they had a run, but they did no further scoring. Iowa got a couple in the bottom of the inning and then got a three-run homer from David Bodie. That was the big hit in the game. And the Iowa Cubs, as you said, won the game 6-3. to three. The Indians had some opportunities late, but they couldn't get the big hit. They had a run in with second and third, one out in the eighth inning. Henry Davis came up as the potential tying run, but he struck out. And they went down in order in the ninth inning. Henry Davis is somebody I want to talk about here briefly. The former number one overall pick. He was drafted as a catcher. I see today he's playing right field. Are they trying to move him out as a permanent right fielder, or is he trying to be just a utility player uh, that plays both catcher and right or other various positions? I don't think he's going to be a utility player. I feel they feel he's an everyday big league player. Now, you also... Eddie, have Andy Rodriguez here, who is the Pirates Minor League Player of the Year. He's a catcher, too. So the two of them are dividing the catching. They're going to see how this plays out. And when Rodriguez doesn't catch, he plays first base. And as you said, when Henry Davis doesn't catch, he plays right field. But they're dividing the catching 50-50. When you're looking at the Indianapolis Indians, Quinn Priester is one of the top prospects, pitching prospects, that is. Osvaldo Bito just made his Major League debut earlier this week. How soon until Quinn Priester is up in the big leagues? Well, that's the Pirates' call. Uh, He's doing well here for the most part. He'll be pitching tomorrow, Eddie. He has a really good curveball. Now, his fastball is something that he has to hit spots with. It's not overpowering. Uh, His changeup needs work. But he has good makeup, good kid, and uh, I think with more experience, you know, he will get to the big leagues ultimately. Now, you say how soon. 
that could depend on an injury. An injury could get him to the big leagues quicker than their plan might be. Uh, the most important thing is not to get to the big leagues as quickly as possible. The most important thing is to be as good as you possibly can be, and then when you get to the big leagues, you stay there. That's what we want players to do, to stay in Pittsburgh once they get recalled. That's Howard Kelman. He'll be on the call of the Indianapolis Indians tomorrow afternoon. They're in Iowa taking on the Cubs at 208. Howard, good luck on uh, the broadcast tomorrow, and hopefully the Tribe can close the series out with a win. As always, Eddie, thank you so much. Pivoting from Major League Baseball to the NFL is not hard, but we're not even going to pivot to the NFL because the voice of the Indianapolis Colts and Matt Taylor, he texted me last night during the show and we talked about the Cincinnati Reds, so that's where I want to start. Mate, how fun is it uh, watching this Reds team pull off seven straight wins now? Ah, oh, I mean, it's it's amazing. I mean, just as a fan, you know, I think we kind of share that, Eddie, the fact that we have uh, meaningful big-time baseball, uh, you know, to, to, to check up on and, and to follow and to watch and to listen to here at the midway point of June is certainly something we are foreign to as Reds fans the last, you know, seven or eight years. Uh, I think for me it goes back to 2012, that season where the Reds were so good, so dominant, maybe the best team in the National League that year. It's really been kind of hard times since then. So, yeah, kind of soaking it in right now on, on a seven-game winning streak for the Reds. First, uh, I, I saw today their first seven-game winning streak since 2018. And, uh, you know, maybe tomorrow, depending on how things go, if they can win again and get some help elsewhere, maybe sit in first place, which is crazy because – I'm, I'm sure I'm like you. At the beginning of this season, I thought, here we go again. It's going to be another, you know, just sort of forgetful year and, you know, a year where you're not paying attention and you don't have baseball sort of as that soundtrack to your summer. Yep. Uh, th- these guys are just amazing right now in terms of the young uh, depth and uh, the, their ability to hit in the clutch and to be able to come back and scrape out wins. And the pitching has been incredibly solid. So, uh, I, I give them credit because I, I didn't I didn't know what the plan was the last couple of years, and it seems like they they had a plan all along. And you know I, I think to a large degree these guys are probably playing better than anybody expected. But I think their totally front agree. office is, is is to be commended for having the foresight to to put this together. I'll put my tail on. We'll get to the actual Colts conversation here next on Indiana Sports Talk. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Nathaniel Finch with Indiana Sports Talk. We've got some baseball being played at Victory Field. Well, not anymore. The games have concluded. The 1A state champion crowned earlier today. Lafayette Central Catholic won. Bar Reeves 0. LCC back-to-back champions. Then you look over in 4A, the second game. The nightcap for today. Penn defeats Center Grove. And boy, it was a good game. 2-0 the final score there. Came down to the bottom of the ninth. Came down to the wire. And ultimately, Center Grove couldn't score with runners in scoring position. But now, 4 Penn, they become just a second school ever to win both the softball and baseball state title in the same year. Last time was New Palestine back in 2004. Congratulations to Penn and to LCC for those victories today. Then we look at some baseball. The Guardians currently in action, the only area team playing baseball right now. They're in Arizona, top of the first 
They've got one out and currently a runner, two runners on base. Then we look over at some of the other scores for today. The Reds, 10-3. They defeat the Houston Astros. Who would have thought? The Astros, one of the best teams in the league. And suddenly the Reds, they got to be in that conversation. Definitely the hottest team in the league right now. Then we look over in Chicago for the Cubs. They get a win 3-2 to two at home. Justin Steele picks up a win. He's been very good this year. And it was a good all-around team effort here for the Cubs, who scored the first two runs, end up putting up a third to win in the bottom of the fifth. For Network Indiana Sports, I'm Nathaniel Finch. Nice job, Nathaniel. This is Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. I'm Eddie Garrison filling in for the coach Bob Lovell. He'll take a little bit of a break as Center Grove falls to pin from Victory Field in the Class 4A Baseball State Championship. In the meantime, we welcome back our guest, Matt Taylor, the voice of the Indianapolis Colts. You can follow him on Twitter at MayTayColts and Mandatory minicamp. I don't even want to call it mandatory, but veteran mandatory minicamp if you're going technical here. Matt, just wrapped up. Um, I think the question I want to ask here is what was your takeaway, but I don't know if there's much to take away because really it's just a bunch of guys trying to get familiar with Shane Steichen and Shane Steichen trying to get uh, familiar with a bunch of guys. No, that's right. I mean, it's it's sort of laying the foundation and the groundwork for being able to hit the ground running for training camp coming up in about five, six weeks from now in late July up at Grand Park in Westfield. So, I mean, obviously, a lot of the off-season post-draft and once guys got back on the field for OTAs and the minicamp, which you speak of, centered around Anthony Richardson, and rightfully so. And I think, you know, he split time uh, with the first-team offensive quarterback with Gardner Minshew, and I think that's the right thing to do. I mean, the Colts don't have to, to push that or force that or, you know, be in a position where they have to pick one guy over another and give one guy a lion's share of the reps. I mean, that's what this time of year is all about. And so, you know, with, with Anthony Richardson coming from, uh, you know, the, the University of Florida and the situation that he was in, right, with 13 starts in college and uh, only having one year under his belt as a starter in the SEC, he needed to have uh, as much time on task as possible and just get reps, 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 and just see it uh, and do it and feel it and live it and understand what a, NFL pocket looks like, understand what these windows inside the red zone look like and feel like, uh, go through two-minute offense. I mean, he needed to go through every situation the Colts could put him in uh, this time in the spring, and I think he got better. Obviously, there were bumps in the road. I mean, you saw the inexperience show up, uh, but also at the same time, you saw the absolute electricity of Anthony Richardson show up with his uh, unbelievable athleticism and just a cannon for a for a right arm, being able to throw the ball downfield. I mean, certainly the accuracy needs to improve. And like I said, from what I could gleam, uh, the red zone is something that he's going to have to continue to get better at as we head into the regular season. You know, when the shrink, uh, well, excuse me, when the field shrinks and windows get tighter, and he's got to be precise in terms of accuracy. Uh, that's something that he's got to uh, sort of tweak tweak up and, and fine-tune to get to the NFL uh, top-notch version of that uh, part of the game. And, and really, that's one of the biggest parts of the game. You know, that's an area on the field, certainly, that goes a long way in deciding winners and losers in the National Football League. So uh, I thought, all in all, Anthony Richardson is exactly where I thought he would be in terms of the ups and downs and the bumps in the road and things like that. 
but he is incredibly coachable. He's got a great attitude. Um, he's very well liked, I think, by his teammates. So all the things that you sort of can't control, those intangibles, uh, he's definitely, I think, ahead of schedule and, and definitely on the right track with those. And uh, he's, I think he's well on his way to being one of the biggest leaders on this team because of the position that he plays and certainly where the Colts drafted him and uh, sort of what he means to the Colts' success, not only this year, but certainly in the years to come as a top five uh, pick in the draft at quarterback. I also think, Matt, it's a little hard to evaluate him from mandatory minicamp because he didn't have it really many of his pass catchers that he's going to be having with him. And when he starts training camp, most of the starters uh, were out with various injuries. So I mm-hmm. think it's a little hard to evaluate Richardson in that aspect. And another route of this, too, um, something that I'm going to be watching as training camp and preseason you know, winds down and they get into the red zone is how often do we see Anthony Richardson just kind of like second guess himself on a read and just take it down and run? Because that's the part of his game that makes him so tantalizing as a prospect is just the freakish athleticism that he possesses. And that's something that I think he's going to have to rely on early. And everybody's asking the question, is he ready? Or when will he be ready? When will we know he's ready to start? I mean, of course, he's not ready, ready. I mean, this is the National Football League. Right. I mean, we, we've seen great players struggle early on in their careers, especially as rookies, because it is so much faster and you do have uh, so much more on your plate, both on and off the field. And considering where, again, Richardson's coming from, only 13 starts under his belt, I mean, he's going to have a steep learning curve. And so with that, I think the Colts are going to have to do right by Anthony Richardson if, in fact, he's out there at the beginning of the season in terms of being able to give him things that he can handle, uh, allow him to process maybe a handful of concepts in every part of the game, right, first and second down, have a couple of concepts he can really process and play fast with on third down, same thing in the red zone, maybe goal line packages, right? You get what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. so on and so forth there. And, and he's going to have to rely on that athleticism and, and just that flat-out playmaking ability early on in his career for the Colts to be successful. But I think that's obviously what this offense has missed the last couple of years is just that uh, dynamic ability from the quarterback position, that threat of being able to make plays off schedule or outside the pocket or when things break down. Obviously, they didn't have that last year with Matt Ryan. They haven't had it the last couple of years to a large degree and I think that's where this game is going, and you can probably argue that it's already there in a lot of cases. You know, you look at – they're not the Lamar Jacksons or the Michael Vicks of the world, but these are guys that can make things happen when things break down. I mean, Joe Burrow can do that. I mean, obviously Patrick Mahomes can do that, and Josh Allen in Buffalo. So that's what the Colts are trying to tap into, that guy you have to account for at quarterback on top of hopefully – you know, the return of Jonathan Taylor and the return of the continuity of the offensive line on offense. I want to switch over to the other side of the football now. Matt Taylor, the voice of the Indianapolis Colts, joins us. Let's look at the defensive side. I think a player that doesn't receive a lot of attention uh, during this time of the year in terms of how important he is or will be this season is Zaire Franklin. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree with you. And I think I actually just talked to him earlier this week. Um, I think it was Tuesday, a veteran minicamp. And, you know, last year, obviously a breakout season. And he's that type of – he's that that classic story of just give me an opportunity, give me a chance. 
and I'll shock you with what I can do and what I'm capable of. And his first year as a starter with the Colts in the NFL, he breaks the, the franchise record for single-season tackles. So, mm-hmm. I mean, just a remarkable story. He's a remarkable human being. And he's, I think, amazed at himself with how much faster and, and more instinctual he's playing right now, just going into year number two under Gus Bradley, having all of that stuff sort of, you know, the muscle memory and the calls and the playbook. It's just, it's just there. It's it, that foundation was laid all of last season. So certainly he is, I think, a cornerstone of this defense. Now the big question, a linebacker is what about Shaq Leonard? When is he coming back? Is he coming back? Is he going to be the same player? Is, uh, is it training camp? Is it, is it the preseason games or, Will we see him by the regular season? We just don't know because of uh, what he's been through, you know, obviously physically with the surgeries and then mentally, you know, it's it's been taxing emotionally and psychologically on him because of, you know, how much football means to him, what the Colts means to him. And certainly the defense was okay, pretty good for the most part last year. Obviously they fell off a little bit towards the end of last year, but the one thing that they were just not able to duplicate from 21 to 22 were the takeaways. And Leonard is just a, a walking takeaway machine, as we all know, with the punch-out ability and the interceptions and just those game-changing plays. So those two guys are obviously going to be big uh, you know, in terms of their availability with Leonard and then staying as, as uh, dominant as he was in Zaire Franklin. But you look at this defense in totality, Eddie, there are – they're playmakers in all three phases or all three levels, right? Mm-hmm. You got Buckner, you got Stewart, and don't don't sleep on Samson Ebicom, who they picked up in free agency. I think he's going to be, you know, no disrespect to Unique Ngakwe, but I think he's going to be a little bit of an overall across the board uh, upgrade at that defensive end position. He plays the run really well, sets the edge. I think there's just really no drop-off in his game, um, regardless of the situation uh, of the game, you know, first, second, or third down. Mm-hmm. And then we talked about the linebackers. Kenny Moore is coming back. Um, I think you got Julian Blackman really finding a home there at the strong safety position. Obviously, corner is a huge flux uh, situation right now for this team with a lot of youth. And then what's going on, obviously, with uh, the off-the-field stuff um, that – can't really get into that too much, but I think everybody knows what I'm what I'm trying to say there. But Matt, I, I'm that- sorry, I got to cut you off here. We got to hit to hit to a break. Thanks again, Daniel Finch, with your scoreboard update earlier this evening. Lafayette Central Catholic wins one nothing over Bar Reeve to claim the Class One A state championship, their second in a row. And then just a few minutes ago, the Class Four A state champion was crowned as Penn wins two to nothing over Center Grove. Top of the third is where both those runs came in for Penn. It started with two straight outs, a fly out and a strikeout. And then Cooper Hums, a three-bagger with two outs. All of a sudden, two straight RBIs. Cameron Dubrovsky had a double. And then Evan Toosley with a single. All of a sudden, two-nothing. A batter interference ends that inning. No score for the rest of the contest. But then things got interesting. Bottom of the seventh, the final inning. A K to start the inning. And then batters two and three. An error and a walk to reach on base. So we got a runner on first and second, a backwards K, and a pop fly to finish off the game. Here's what that one sounded like. A high pop fly. Right side in the shallow right field near the grass. Now back on the dirt, making the catches (laughs) under, and the Penn Kingsmen have repeated. 
They are 4A state champions. And go diving on top of one another on the pitcher's mound. Hudno made it dramatic, but he made the play now. I mean, you know, came a long way from second base, but was right there. Brennan King and Coach Bob Level for the IHSAA Champions Radio Network. Big congratulations to Penn. 2-0 winners over Center Grove. For Network Indiana Sports, I'm Nathaniel Finch. Welcome back to Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. I'm Eddie Garrison. Brendan King, who was on the call of that, he'll be joining us later. He'll join us at about the 11.30 portion of the program. But now we've talked about the IndyCar series. We've talked about the Indianapolis Colts. We've talked about the Indians. Talked about the Indy 11 a little bit. Now let's transition into some basketball NBA draft on Thursday. Good friend of mine. I don't know how he wants me to introduce him because, you know, he's the world's best Rocket League player that covers a professional sports team. Uh, oh, and he's recently engaged, too. So, Tony East, how are you? Wow. Good friend of mine was enough, Eddie. You didn't have to do all the rest of that. Oh, I'm 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 sorry. I had to. <laughs> how are you? I'm flattered. Good to be here. Always good to chat. Good. Uh, Indiana Fever will start there. They're back in action tomorrow afternoon. Uh, they've won consecutive games. Uh, I think that's a big step in the right direction considering where the franchise was, not just even considering just last season. <laughs> yeah, 5-31 and 31 last year was brutal. And they started pretty well. They were 2-2, two and two, right? And then kind of pittered around a little bit until the halfway point. They were 5-13 and 13 halfway through last season. If you do the math, that means they lost every game in the second half of the season, right? So... Two wins in a row, significant. Uh, only the second time that's happened in the last two seasons. They've won three out of four. The one loss was by two points to the reigning champs, and they had a layup to tie it late in that stretch. I mean, this, they look good, good. And having Aaliyah Boston on their team has been such a godsend for them. She's, she's unbelievable. She makes everything fit. She's already one of the best 15 or so players in the league, and she's only played 10 games. It's, it's ridiculous how good she is and how much better she's made the team. Yeah, I noticed that she was fourth in the initial voting for the All-Star game. Uh, is it her that's been the biggest attribution to the success so far, or has it been Christy Sides or a big combination of the two of them? Yeah, definitely a combo. You know, it, on, on defense, I think Sides' influence is really obvious. They, they're a no-middle-principles kind of team. They've got and they're pretty good at it. They try to force turnovers. They're good in transition. They just really care about a lot of the little stuff on the end of the floor in a way that wasn't as obvious in past seasons. Ironically, she's a defensive coach, but I've seen Aaliyah Boston's impact the most on offense. Like, we're 10 games in, and already she's getting double teamed, which opens up other players on the perimeter, and her screening ability is fantastic. And defense has to pay attention to her, even when she doesn't have the ball, right? That brings people into the paint and opens up the floor for everybody else. They just used her as a screener to – dropped Kelsey Mitchell's game-winning bucket in their last game in Chicago. Like, she's already just such a huge force for them on offense, making everybody else's life easier. So, sides influence and culture reset has been huge, but Boston's play has made life. Every, everybody has been uh, better off for it. Uh, final question about the Indiana Fever. Talk about two players here. Kelsey Mitchell, she's like the seasoned veteran uh, with this team, the, the leader next to Erica Wheeler, uh, and then the other player, Nelissa Smith, she's in her second year. What have you seen from those two so far this season? Yeah, Mitchell, the big talk for her in camp was she's better at slowing down, actually, right? She's really fast, one of the fastest players with the ball in the league. She's shooting really well from three this year. Now she's got a little bit more pace control to her game, and when she's in the paint, she can spray it out a little more. She's just more threatening, and you can tell their teams are sending a little more defensive attention her way to try to not let her get going. When she scores, she's 
She scores in bunches. It's hard to stop her. She's been great. And Melissa Smith, a little inconsistent, but at her best, fantastic this year. Also pretty hard to guard from all over the floor. You can tell she's worked on her inside game, and she's kind of playing inside out, which uh, was a big growth point for her. The Fever have really uh, done well to develop those two and kind of grow the chemistry of that trio alongside Boston so far this year. On Thursday night, the Indiana Pacers may have the seventh pick. They may have the 26th, and they may have the 29th. They may have all three. Uh, Yesterday, Brian Winhorst went on the Brian Winhorst and Hoop Collective podcast and said that he has been hearing that the Indiana Pacers have made that pick available for a veteran wing. If that is so the case, what kind of player could the Pacers net with the seventh overall selection? Ooh, good question. You know, it's hard to say because, like, for example, the seventh pick was traded for Jimmy Butler a while ago, but the 16th pick was also involved and Zach Levine and Larry Markkinen and Chris Dunn, who are all recent lottery picks were also involved. So it's not like the seventh pick alone was enough for Jimmy Butler, but you know, that's the kind of stuff that sometimes teams trading inside the top 10 look for is just like well-established to a players. And Jimmy Butler has gotten much, much better since that trade, but you know, that people swing for the fences usually when they trade picks, in the top ten, you know, the, the name that's going to be thrown around the most is probably OG Ananobi. Uh, Mikael Bridges has been said a lot. Uh, that's just, of course, since connecting to the Pacers rumors for months now, dating back to the trade deadline. But I'm sure there will be more names that pop up. You know, there's already surprise Bradley Beal availability. We'll see who else potentially wiggles free around the league. To be clear, the Pacers should not trade the seventh pick for Bradley Beal. But there could be any number of good wing players available. And if, if the Pacers feel like now's the time to go for it, they, they might pursue it. Really like how you wove in Bradley Beal there, knowing where your fandom was as a kid. Um, Gotta be careful. Yes. At the trade deadline, it was rumored that the Pacers offered all three of those first-round picks for OG Ananobi to the Toronto Raptors. In hindsight, do you think Toronto regrets not taking that offer as of right now? Yeah. You know, the thing is, right, the Pacers then were, what were they, eighth in the East or something? Mm -hmm. You know, that was looking like, 15, 26, 29, like that's good, but not great. So the fact that the Pacers sputtered so much down the stretch and ended up with seven, yeah, maybe they regret it because, you know, seven, 26, 29, probably too much for Ananobi. And we'll see, like, ironically, a decent starting point structure could be something like seven for Ananobi and 13. And then you mix in whatever else the Pacers have to send to make that package work because there has been rumblings about the Raptors maybe wanting to trade up. So, all sorts of interesting structures if the Pacers and Raptors want to circle back on something there. Now, when you look at some of the available free agents, I think the biggest target that Pacers fans are wanting is Cam Johnson. Where do you sit on that matter? Great fit if, if they get him. I mean, the same reason people think Taylor Hendricks is a great fit in the draft. I just wrote about this, so it's fresh on the brain. Just three and D players are super valuable to every single NBA team, and Cam Johnson is 27. I think he just turned 27. Uh, can shoot like crazy, can defend, and in the playoffs just now had a bigger role than he had with the Suns with the Nets and did a great job in that spot. Looked good for them that whole series. They got swept, obviously, but he played well throughout that against the Sixers and proved that he can be a postseason contributor, has made the finals with Phoenix before. Like, fits in exactly with what the Pacers need. I'm not sure why the Nets would let him get away. He's probably going to cost $100 million, but he would be a wonderful fit with what the Pacers need. That's a lot of money. 
That is a lot of money, but that's what the NBA is these days. Yeah, that is true. Uh, He's Tony East. You can follow him on Twitter at Tony R. East. I guess I never really said who you cover the Pacers for. That's Sports Illustrated (laughs) and the Locked On Pacers podcast. You can listen to him there. Um, He also does some work for Forbes Sports. Um, When you look at the players that the Pacers worked out individually and then just in like the groups to me when you look at it they worked out Jarvis Walker they worked out Taylor Hendricks uh and Grady Dick individually Asar Thompson canceled his we can get to that a little bit later but like when you look at the players that they worked out in those private sessions and you look at how many players they worked out in like the group sessions it looks like to me a lot of those players they worked out were predominantly in that late first and then you see like Grady Dick, for example, he's probably at the top half of like the 10, so 10, 11, 12 range. So if you read through the tea leaves a little bit, you can probably kind of guess where their mind is at, correct? Uh, it's always hard to say. You know, it's interesting this year because it seems like their picks are really spread out, right? Because they have five and they're kind of all over the place, but they're kind of bunched together too, right? 26, 29, and 32. That's six picks apart for three of their five picks. So, you know, guys like, for example, Leonard Miller, who they brought in, and we could see Rick Carlisle working with him on shooting form kind of stuff, right? He'll, it seems like he's going to go, like, around 20, right, before they can pick, but they have the ability to package stuff to get up to him. So anyone going in the 40s, you could trade back. Like, there's a million ways you could go. So they kind of need to just kind of bring in a- anybody <laughs> who will take it. Uh, and, you know, some of these guys in, like, the late lotto or, you know, or – High teens, for example, you didn't see a lot of those names. I think you're right to point that out. But, um, you know, the solo individual guys, I think most of them are obviously pick top 11 range. And everybody else, they just kind of had to bring in as many guys as they can because this draft is kind of crazy. There's a big tier of kind of like maybe players from pick like 22 to 50 maybe. So Mm -hmm. bringing in as many of them as you can is important if you're the Pacers with this many picks. Tony, you got to hit a quick break here. You might hang it on hold. We'll talk about some players that could possibly be on the move on the Pacers roster. You got it. That's Tony East. We'll come back after the scoreboard update from Nathaniel Finch. We'll talk about some players that could possibly be available via trade in order to make a trade happen to land a wing that the Pacers covet the most. Still to come, James Boyd and Brenda King. This is Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Daniel Finch with your 1045 Network Indiana scoreboard update. The one area baseball team playing right now, the Cleveland Guardians, currently leading 1-0 on the road in Arizona against the Diamondbacks. That in the... Bottom of the second. Now they'll head to the top of the third. The lone run scored today. That was from Stephen Kwan for the Guardians. Looking at the rest of this MLB slate, the Reds, winners 10-3 to over the Houston Astros. They're now a game over 500. That's something that's only happened once in the last seven full seasons, of course, not counting the shortened 2020 year. Coming into this year, so now the second time in the last eight They're just a half game behind Milwaukee for the NL Central lead. This is a special team down in Cincinnati. Good team up in Chicago as well. They're getting hot at the right time. 3-2. Winners over the Baltimore Orioles at home are the Cubs. And the White Sox 
following after their fellow Chicago team. They win 4-3 to three on the road in 11 innings in Seattle. The Tigers fall 2 nothing against the Twins on the road. The Cardinals also had to travel, but this time they won 5-3 in New York. Winners over the Mets. Looking at some minor league scores. The Indians... They fall in Iowa to the Cubs 6-3. to The South Bend Cubs, however, a different fate here as they win 10-2 to over Cedar Rapids and the Colonels. This, of course, comes after losing their first four games of the series to Cedar Rapids. Finally, the Fort Wayne Tin Caps fall 5-2 to against the Dayton Dragons. For Network Indiana Sports, I'm Nathaniel Finch. Welcome back to Indiana Sports Talk. I'm Eddie Garrison, and we welcome those along the affiliates who are carrying the IHSAA Baseball State Finals, where Penn captures the state championship over Center Grove in Class 4A. Earlier, we talked with Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, Mark Jaynes, the voice of the NTT IndyCar Series, and now we're talking about the Indiana Pacers with Tony East. He covers them for Sports Illustrated, Forbes Sports, and Locked On Pacers podcast. Uh, Tony, I want to transition now. We talked about potentially trading up for the Pacers or moving that seventh pick. Uh, who are some players that are on the roster that uh, Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan could include in a possible trade to make it happen? I'm not going to lie. If if you told me anybody except for Andrew Nemhard, Benedict Mather, and Tyrese Alburn, I would kind of get it. I don't think they'll move a lot of players. Uh, like Miles Turner seems very safe, but he healed baby so as well. But just in general, thinking about where they are with a fairly blank slate team despite a good season, like it, they, there's good sense in a lot of them. But if you had to pick out the guys that make the most sense, I think I would look at guys that – either have kind of a rickety spot in the rotation or are young and unproven and could maybe be moved for a more veteran immediate contributor and kind of a, a challenge kind of trade. So, you know, Chris Duarte, what's his role going to be next season with Jordan Wara's emergence and Aaron Neesmith having a good year and perhaps the Pacers shine or, or, or draft someone at the forward spots. Where, where's he even going to get minutes, right? There's not a lot of spots available for someone like him, but Still inexperienced and, and fairly popular in the league, right? He was very popular in that draft. And, you know, one of Isaiah Jackson or Jalen Smith, does anyone still have – is anyone still a fan of them? They were in the draft in the last three years as, as first-round picks and have talent. But what's their role going to be on the Pacers behind Miles Turner? And they have lots of other young bigs uh, in the mix. Daniel Tice as well. What's his role going to be? Does someone value him and, and what he can do? He's been in the finals before. He's been in the conference finals before. Those are the names that – stand out the most to me but again I think you could in theory make an argument for for quite a few guys just given what their value would be and given the direction the Pacers are headed a couple players I want to talk about here Jordan Wara what kind of role do you see him having uh, in the NBA more specifically with this Pacers team yeah it's hard to figure out exactly what his role will be next year right like if they add a four and and draft another one like is he even in the rotation next year? I mean, it's not, I, I would assume he'd play. You know, he he was really great for them mm-hmm. down the stretch last season. Thirteen points a game, shot the ball really well, gave them size uh, on defense that they may even were like, "Yep, you're guarding Luka Doncic, right?" And like, I never would have thought that when they traded for him, but he was great for them. And so perhaps they they try to find a role for him because of that offensive punch he provided, and he fit pretty well with the team style. Looked forward to his game a little bit, play make. So he definitely was good enough to earn minutes next year, but if they're trying to be as good as they, as they have said, then it's going to be hard, like to make the decision on who your backup three, four kind of is, especially depending on who else you do and don't play. So I kind of view him as a good 
bench forward, I think he could do well in that role if the Pacers have him there. But with the guys that they have and, and Neesmith in the mix and Duarte, like we already said, and potentially some but picks coming in the door, like it's hard to say exactly what his role could be, just given how much is in flux and his contract being so short. We've got a minute here, Tony, before we have to hit a break. I uh, wanted to touch on Neesmith, but we can table that conversation for a different day. Uh, NBA draft on Thursday. Who's the prospect you like the most for the Pacers at number seven if they don't trade it? Yeah, Victor Mbanyama, if he falls that far, but in all seriousness, uh, <laughs> Jarris Walker would be, would be the choice to me. Fits really well, has some creation upside as, that four with size that they've been desperately needing for years and years and years. They've struggled to defend big wings since that young left. And I think he's their best shot to have somebody who can do that. I think his offensive fit is pretty solid too. I think Jarris Walker would be my pick if I could make it. All right, Tony, I appreciate you making the time. Are you going to go hit the sticks? Um, because I'm not sure. Now that you're an engaged man, I don't know how much longer you'll be able to do that. I'm going to say I'm running out of time, Eddie, so i gotta got to get it in when I can. All right, Tony, thanks. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, take care, man. That's Tony East. You can follow him on Twitter at Tony R East. Still getting used to the new Twitter handle, but that's for a different uh, different topic another day. Uh, for those that just joined us, you can catch the podcast of our conversation with Mark James, Matt Taylor, Howard Kelman, and Greg Rakestraw from earlier. But coming up next, James Boyd of the Athletic at the top of the hour. We'll talk about the Indianapolis Colts. Alec Pierce had a camp today. He was at that. And then, of course, Brendan King, he was on the call of the IHSA State Finals and baseball for today. More to come on Indiana Sports Talk. We're that much closer to the 11 o'clock hour, which means it's the final hour of Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. I'm Eddie Garrison. Filling in for the coach as he takes his summer hiatus. You can follow me on Twitter at I or not at IND Sports Talk. That's the Indiana Sports Talk Twitter if you want to follow the account if you're not already. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Eddie Garrison underscore. The guy you've been hearing every 15 minutes. Nathaniel Finch joins me now. How's it going over there, big fella? Not bad. Well, you're not going to plug my Twitter. You're plugging everyone else's. Oh, what? ND Finch TV? Is that what it is? You got it. Although we might we might be on the radio, but that's okay. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to bring it up because it said TV and we're on radio. Come on now. Hey, fun show so far, Eddie. I appreciate a couple that. first timers. It's been fun. Yeah, like uh, so. Let's talk about the ba- let's talk about baseball specifically here. Um, I started off the, started the show off by saying that we're like the Cincinnati Reds, and a bunch of rookies are you know we're just inexperienced people doing having fun and enjoying life. But uh, that's neither here nor there, and that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about baseball in general. Uh, what has been your overall thoughts? about the pitch clock now that we're uh, nearing 70 games into the season? I don't think it's a bad thing for baseball. I mean, obviously, it seemed to work. These games are really speeding up. They're quick games, and you know, may- maybe it's a little too quick. I would like to see it a little bit slow over clock. I know our good friend in uh, Network Indiana's Ryan <laughs> Soul, he-, he tweeted out a few weeks ago about how basketball gets a longer clock football gets a longer clock and then for baseball these guys are kind of hurried so i get it maybe that maybe they could lengthen it a little bit but i do like what it's doing to the game i feel like it's getting a lot more people you know to watch some of these games it just kind of sucks that these pitchers aren't going and pitching nine innings all that much anymore yeah it does um and i think that those days are over just because all the analytics that are against it and just how much analytics play now uh into major league baseball this is a conversation that um i'll have with Brendan King later 
uh, in the show, probably around 11.45 maybe. Um, how would you improve the sport? Because like when you look at baseball, they've done so much over the last two seasons. Uh, you have a three-batter minimum with relief pitchers or pitchers who come in. You've got the enlarged bases, and now you've got a pitch clock. It's all catered toward the pit, uh, to the pitching and the offense, or not the pitching, but the hitting and the offense. Uh, how can baseball improve their game to keep those fringe fans uh, and then uh, add some more fans potentially in the future? I mean, I think they're doing it. They're doing a good job of finding these, you know, major changes but not changing the game too much. I don't know. I mean, unpopular opinion to uh, improve the game. How about they stop messing with it and just let it be? There's all this talk about the robo-umps and if we're going to have that in the major leagues. I mean, honestly, if you just leave it how it is, let's just play some baseball. Let's have fun. Let's roll with it. But uh, I don't know. It's It's been an interesting kind of fine line because you can't go too far and change too much. But, I mean, obviously they're not getting quite the engagement they want, so you can't keep it the same. I, I don't know, Eddie. What do you think? Well, uh, I know you know how I feel about the uh, the robot the robo arms. We'll get into that a little bit later with Brendan King. Uh, uh, Nathaniel, thanks for hopping on here, real quick. Yeah, of course. Coming up, James Boyd of the Athletic. We'll talk about the Pacers. Brendan King, talk some baseball. Robo ump, no robo ump. Where does he stand? But first, I'll come back for a brief couple seconds, and then you'll hear an update. Four and a half good minutes from Nathaniel Finch on Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 